for right now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend uh, the rest of June and part of July talking about Father Abraham, and in particular, what the blessing of Abraham uh, looks like. What does that mean for us? We've been talking about, and we're going to be continuing to talk about, the heart that we need, the heart we need as a church. We sang about it this morning, holy, there is no one like you, there is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder, show me who you are, and fill me with your heart, and lead me in your love to those around me. Fill me with your heart. What is ultimately on the heart of God? There's message notes today in your, uh, in your app if you want to open them. David will have them on the screen, I think, here. But what is ultimately on the heart of God? Now, let me just ask your indulgence as once again I go to 1 Peter and quote something from 1 Peter. But I, I just want to hover for a minute at 30,000 feet and ask that question, what is ultimately on the heart of God? In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we are told that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is God ultimately after? It has something to do with a people for Himself. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, we read these words, that in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. He's made known to us the mystery of His will. You're not waiting to discover what that mystery is. He has already made known to us His plan according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan from the beginning has been to bring all things together, to bring His people together and His creation together under Christ Jesus. And then Revelations 5, 9 through 10, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, Lord Jesus, and by your blood, what did He do? You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
in the new heavens and the new earth, those from every tribe and nation and tongue that God has called to Himself, gathered together in Christ, we will be gathered together, united, His people, His new earth, we will reign upon that earth. So what is ultimately the heart of God? It is this, that through Jesus Christ and the agency of the Holy Spirit, God the Father is gathering a people unto Himself for our joy and eternal purpose in the service of His ever-expanding glory and dominion. That was a long sentence, but if you heard it, you should say, Alleluia, because it's so, so wonderful what God has invited us into. The Great Commission is our commission. When, God, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to His disciples and said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, He was pointing to this. He was pointing to this future reality, the summing up of all things, the gathering together of all things, His ransomed people, a new heaven, a new earth, and a place where His glory will be ever-expanding, His dominion will be ever-expanding throughout all time. Now, you might wonder, that's nice, Jeff, what does this have to do with Abraham? Because that is where the journey, this journey of redemption by grace really takes shape. That's the place where this whole journey really takes shape, and we see the first real glimpses of what God is doing. Where does Abraham first appear in the Scriptures. A lot of folks, when they talk about Abraham, they talk about Genesis 12, which begins, now the Lord said to Abraham. But Abraham actually shows up in chapter 11 of Genesis. And in the end of that chapter, we read about his father, uh, his father, Terah. And Terah had three sons. He had a son named Nabor, or Nahor. He had a son named uh, Haran, and he had a son named Abraham. His son, uh, Haran fathered a man by the name of Lot. You're familiar with his name. And then soon after, Haram died. He died. That's why Lot was on his own later on when he goes with Abraham. Terah, it says in Genesis 11, takes Abraham and his children... Abraham's already married to his wife, called Sarai at this point, or Sarai at this point. He's already married to her, and they leave the place that they're in, and they start moving toward Canaan. I said, wait a minute, I, I, thought, I thought God called Abraham out of Ur of the, Ch out of Ur of the Chaldees, this place where the, the moon was worshipped. I thought, I thought He called him out of there, and He left. no. He left with Terah, that family left, and began to head toward Canaan. But then they came to a town called Haran. Now, I don't know if, if Terah thought, oh, a place named after my son sounds good, but it's actually, it's actually a different word. It's, it's actually spelled differently in the Hebrew. It just sounds the same. But they came to this town, Haran, and they stopped and went no further. And while they were in that place, Terah died. 
Now, let's look at something because there's a little catch here. Because Genesis 12, as I said, shows God calling Abraham, but was that the first time that God called Abraham? Was that the first time? The answer we find in a sermon preached by the very first martyr of the Christian church. What's his name? Stephen. And in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, we read these words starting at verse 2. Stephen gives, gives a, a, a litany of the history of Israel. Look what he says here, chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. You hear that? So God had appeared to Abraham. Not some kind of an internal sense of a voice. No, this was a theophany. This God appeared in some form to Abraham before he lived in Haran and said to him, verse 3, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Well, so why does does the writer in Genesis, why does Moses attribute the move to Terah as opposed to Abraham's obedience to God's call that first time? Well, we don't know the answer. There's no clear-cut answer. It could be that just given the patriarchal system of the time, that, that Moses was just giving deference to the elder, to the father in that situation. But the reason that they left was because God had appeared to Abraham and had told him to leave his kindred, to leave his father's house, and to go into a land that he would show him. And then in chapter 12, we see God calling Abraham yet again, a second time. Same command, leave your father's house, leave your kindred, leave this place that you're in, this country that you're in, leave it all behind, and you will go into a land that I will show you. Now, why mention this? Because I want to encourage you this morning. We'll talk about Abraham's life from different perspectives throughout the month and into July, but this morning I just want to encourage you from this very, very simple beginning. Twice Abraham was called. 300 years had passed between the time that God had spoken to Noah and God speaks to Abraham. That's a long time of quiet. That's a long time of God not saying anything to His people. Oh, He had spoken within His own Godhead. He had spoken at the Tower of Babel 
about what they needed to do as a, rea- as a, as a, as a um, uh, consequence for the behavior of the people, but he had not spoken to anybody on the planet for 300 years. And then he speaks to Abraham. Here's the first big idea I want you to grab this morning. Don't become disheartened when God seems silent. Don't become disheartened when God seems silent. We've all experienced it. Our prayers feel empty. The Scriptures don't seem to come alive when we, when we read them. We feel isolated. We feel lonely even in church, even with other people. We feel alone. We feel like something's missing. We feel like we're just not connected. Our prayers just seem to not be going anywhere. Our, 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 our worship can even feel cold and kind of formulaic. And we wonder what's, what's wrong. And the, the question that the disheartened person asks is this, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? There are several reasons why God may be silent. He may be silent because He is working through the trial of silence. He's working through the test of silence. He is building and working in you to develop patience and perseverance. And part of the development of Christ-like character in us is to hold on even when God seems to be silent and not give in to despair or complaining or or give in to frustration or, or, or just kind of go off and try to find our happiness in some other place or way to, to start looking around for someone or something to meet this emptiness that we're feeling. No, when we are aligned to God's purposes, we know that when God goes silent, He may be putting me in a bit of a desert wilderness for a little while. Because He wants me to trust Him. Because He wants me to believe that His promise is true, that His Word is true, that He is faithful, that He is is committed to the work of His hands. And so, I will continue even though God feels silent or distant to me, I will choose to stay faithful and to walk. And to know that God is developing something within me. God's not going to develop love in you without giving you unlovely people. He's not going to develop patience in you without giving you things to make you impatient. He's not going to develop goodness in you without giving you the opportunity to choose evil over goodness. He's not going to develop peace within you without giving you troubling circumstances in which you have to rely on His peace. He's not going to develop self-control in you without giving you things you have to exercise self-control in. These are the weights that we are 
living. This is the resistance to our spiritual muscles. And as we continue in faithfulness, as we continue to walk with Him, our love is strengthened, our peace is developed, our self, uh, 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 self-discipline is developed, our perseverance is developed, our faith is developed as we trust God even in the midst of silence. Now, other reasons can be, number one, or number two, that sin is not being resisted, that sin is not being resisted. Now, let me make sure you understand what I'm saying by that. I do not mean by that that you're free of sin. You will not ever be free of sin in this life. You will not be free of sin's demands. You will not be free of sin's nature. You will have to deal with that the rest of your life. You have victory over it. You have freedom over it. And as we choose to know Jesus more and walk in that freedom, we will become more, we will walk more and more in that freedom. But we will always struggle with this thing called the flesh. So I'm not saying that God is silent because you're not sin free. I said he's silent because you are not resisting sin. Let me take you to one of those Jeffisms that I know you've heard a hundred times in this room. No serious believer can be a happy sinner. No genuine believer can be a contented sinner. If you are content with compromise, listen to me, if you're content with compromise, you very well may not be a regenerated believer. You may not be a genuine child of God. If you're happy to let sin go undealt with, if you're not willing to engage in the fight, if you're not willing by the process of confession and seeking God and pursuing God and developing your relationship with God to do battle with sin, if you're not active in your battle with sin... If you're not living in such a way that when you come up against it and you fall into sin or you fail in some way, that you go right back to God and say, Lord, this is not who I want to be. This is not what I want ruling my life. I confess it to you. I ask your forgiveness and I receive your Spirit's power afresh. I want to overcome this, Lord. Show me how to walk in the strength of your Spirit. Show me how to contend and how to fight with this sin. Let me ask you a question. What sin are you fighting with these days? There should be something you're fighting with. Something that you're contending with. You know what it is. Something you should be fighting with. I got a list of contenders I'm I'm dealing with. I'm fighting with. God can go silent when sin is not resisted. If we are content with our sin, if we are content not to pursue God, then God has no reason to continue to speak to us other than to simply continually call us to repentance. But that call is the only thing that a happy sinner should be looking for. 
So that's the second thing. Third reason why God may be silent, because obedience is incomplete. Because obedience is incomplete. Because you know God has spoken to you about an arena of your life, not necessarily a a, a sin arena, but maybe something having to do with a calling on your life, with a positive part of how He wants you to love someone, forgive someone, uh, be connected to someone in a life-giving way. He's talking to you about about your giving, about your fellowship, about developing your life in prayer. He's called you to look at a new avenue, a new uh, a place that He wants you to engage. It might be a different line of work. It may be a different place. Who knows? It can be all kinds of things, not necessarily a, a, a sin issue, but uh, there can be an incomplete obedience issue where we've said, ah, yeah, I know I should work on that gun. I think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. I'm going to, you know, and we, and we do a little bit, right? We do a little bit. We adjust a little bit. We change for a little bit. Ever been there, right? We change for a little bit. Lord, I'm going to start doing this. Yes, I want to spend time with you. And then we adjust for a while, and then we drift back. Incomplete obedience. And if we persist in incomplete obedience, then it's really not advantageous to us to ask God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Lord, Lord, lead me. I, I have. <laughs> yeah, I know, but lead me something else. <laughs> something, something easier. <laughs> something that, that, I'd, that, I would, that I would enjoy more. So it can be incomplete obedience. But I'm going to tell you for Christians that the single most common is seasons of testing. In seasons of testing. Don't become disheartened when God seems to be silent. It took a long time for God to speak to Abraham. Second big idea is this. Don't become disheartened when you've blown it. Don't become disheartened when you've blown it. Both times that God spoke to Abraham, Abraham did not fully obey what God told him to do. Both times. He did not fully obey. Stephen tells us in Acts 7, and God said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, your family, and go into the land that I will show you. In Genesis 12 and verse 1, the second call Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And in both situations, Abraham's obedience was incomplete. It was incomplete. And there were consequences because of it. The whole experience with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah flowed out of that disobedience. His his time in Egypt and all of that compromise and the deception and the lies flowed out of a lack of obedience. We've all experienced it. Just like God's silence, we've all experienced this. We wonder, is God 
finished with me? Is God finished with me? Some of you young adults, you've struggled. Struggled with your faith, struggled with trying to figure out what it means to really walk with Christ, and you've allowed yourself to go off the path and into some things that you know you should not have. You know we're hurtful. You know we're damaging to your spirit, your soul. And maybe in your own heart you wonder today, well, is God finished with me? Is God done with me? We give in to temptation. We become paralyzed by fear. We stop meeting with God. We know our hearts have gotten cold. It's not just young people, is it? It's adults, isn't it? It's the older ones among us, isn't it? We know what that's like. And sometimes days go by, sometimes weeks, months, even years go by. And we find ourselves asking, is God finished with me? Abraham wrestled with incomplete obedience. He wrestled with doubts. He wrestled with fears. He wrestled with insecurity. He was a deceiver and a liar. He was unwilling to fully obey God at certain points. So listen, beloved, listen to me. That's the kind of people God uses. That's the kind of folks that God employs. Weak, broken, sinful people. That's who God uses because that's all there is. That's all there is. Remember Paul's words in Philippians 1. Naomi mentioned it today, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. God does not change his mind regarding his purpose for you. Listen, hear that. God does not change his mind just because you do. God is not fickle just because you are. God does not waver just because you do. God does not wander off just because you have. He never changes in His purpose for you, in His desire to develop in you His purpose and His plan. He is a Father full of infinite loving kindness and mercy. He will discipline you, but He will not disown you. Abraham will become a, a, the, the central figure of the Old Testament's history. God's great promise to Abraham is that he's going to become the, the father of multitudes, of, of nations, of people from every tribe and nation and tongue. Abraham was the head of the nation through which the Messiah would come. 
and the promise made to Abraham would ultimately be fulfilled in his seed, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16 said that the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many. Say, wait a minute, Jeff, didn't, didn't God say Abraham would be the father of multitudes? Yes, yes, but not because of himself, but because of Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus, and only through Jesus, would people from every place upon the globe be called to be a part of God's kingdom. He said, not to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, Paul says, who is Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. The promise of what? The promise that God, through Jesus Christ, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, gathering for Himself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, who will be gathered together under Christ, joined to the new heavens and the new earth in the brand new beginnings of God's eternal galactic purposes of the increase of His government, there will be no end. You get to be a part of that. Not because you're special, but because God has shown you mercy. Because God, by His own free will, by His own purpose, has shown you mercy. Why waste any more time? Why waste any more time with incomplete, half-hearted obedience? Why waste any more time fooling around with mud pies when God offers us a feast? Why waste time? You say, well, Jeff, I've just, I just feel like God doesn't talk to me anymore. He wants to. He wants to. Don't become disillusioned. If there's unconfessed sin, if you're a happy sinner, repent. Turn to God and say, Lord, I want to hear your voice again. I want you to talk to me. I want you to lead me. Don't become disillusioned just because God's been silent for a while. And do not become disillusioned because you think you've blown it and God's finished now with you. Your chance has passed. No, no. No, no, no. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. He wants to welcome you into His embrace. Amen?